Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have one, there should be a black hardback Bible there somewhere near you. Uh, That's our gift to you if you need a Bible. But I do need to remove this idol from the stage. Uh, I don't want anyone to get distracted by this golden idol. So I'll go ahead and put it with my small group. That's where it'll stay. So uh, until 10 minutes into the game, right? Uh, no, nah, just kidding. Uh, one, one person said this, that uh, gratitude is the thermometer that indicates the state of our spiritual health. And, uh, you know, many of you have kids, and the thermometer is your best friend. Uh, at this time of year, you, uh, you have kids come to you and say, I don't feel good, I don't want to go to school. And you say... We'll see what the thermometer says, right? And then, like, it's the judge. Well, that's the same way it comes with gratitude in the, in the Christian walk. Uh, if, if we're grateful for what God has done, uh, and we maintain a constant attitude of gratitude for Christ's work on our behalf, it assures us that our thinking will be accurate about ourselves and God. But when we begin to be um, frustrated or have entitlement, or when we begin to look at others and say, well, I, I just don't have what they have then we quickly get our eyes off of Christ and we get our eyes onto ourselves and we miss out on genuine worship for who God is and what he's done in our lives. So I begin by saying I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for him this morning. I'm thankful for um, this morning as I heard uh, voices from every generation in this room declaring God's excellence. Even, even a, a child's cry, it's, it's a beautiful sound. That God gives life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. So I want to pray for us this morning as we jump into God's word. He's, he's got a lot for us um, as, we, as, as we jump in. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you. That you've done what we are incapable of doing. You made a way when there was no way. When there was slavery and death, you brought life. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have everlasting life. You came to seek and to save the lost. You came for those who are sick, those who are spiritually sick. God, let us have an attitude of gratitude as we think about you this Sunday morning. Let it permeate our lives, our thoughts. Let it lead and guide our life. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit, that you would open our hearts to you, that we would have fertile soil to receive your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we're going through Galatians, this, this um, series we're entitling No Other Gospel, we've looked at this thesis statement that God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. Rather, it's based on Christ's work on your behalf. And as Paul has been telling the Galatian churches this, he's been working systematically through the fact that No matter how good you think you are or what laws that you think you can keep, it's never going to be good enough to get you in a right standing with God. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. So as we jump in, I want you to see, number one, no other gospel guards you. No other gospel guards you. So we're going to begin reading there in Galatians 3, 23 through 25. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
We're going to pause right there before we read further on. This is difficult for us to understand because Paul's writing to a different uh, time frame. Uh, during this time frame, Hebrews, they, I mean, at age 12, you were an adult. Now we have the teenage years and adolescence is growing and it's growing on in through the 20s now. And this, this, is, when, this is when Paul's like, look, you know, this bar mitzvah type attitude was that when a child became 12 years old, God would, uh, or the father would say to God, this is now yours. I'm handing off the responsibility. I'm no longer his guardian, but he's under you. And then the son would reply, I understand, and I now take full responsibility of my life under God. So there's this change that happens. Now, uh, we don't really understand this because we don't understand what the guardian is. And we say, but there's rules. You've got to have rules for, for your kids, and you've got you to raise them up. Yes, that's exactly the way it is. How many of you taught your kid not to touch a hot stove? Right, that's a good rule. And as they grew up and they became older, they didn't touch the hot stove. Well, some of them probably did, right? Some of them did. They had to learn the hard way. I was one of those kids. You know, maybe you told your kid, hey, don't play in the road. And they didn't play in the road. And as they became an adult, they realized, oh, you don't play in the road. So at some point, it became they became responsible under God. They're no longer held by the law or the guardian that's over them. So as I see the students beginning to kind of glaze over because they're just so excited about football this afternoon... Uh, I'm going to steal a, an illustration from a pastor named J.D. Greer. So this is a little disgusting. So I'm just going to go over here and talk to the students because this will be like their, their language, okay? So um, J.D. Greer tells the story and he says, now what if someone came up here on stage and they threw up and vomited all over the stage? He wouldn't have to say, everyone stay in your seat. No one come up here and, and lick up the vomit. I told you, it's not mine, okay? Don't blame me. If you don't like it, write J.D. Greer an email. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I have to give you laws on that because it's gross. It's disgusting. However, if you were a dog, you got to have some rules, right? Because the dogs are going to try to get to it. And they're like, hey, what is that? That's like leftover hot dog. You know, like, what is, what is that? You know, like, too far? Okay. So, um, so you got to have these rules, Unless you're a new creation. Unless you're a new creation in Christ and you realize that's, that's gross. That's disgusting. And, and here's the deal. A lot of us don't fully understand how disgusting sin really is. And we, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a man repeats his folly is what Proverbs says. We go back. And so Paul would be like, you, you needed the law before faith came. You, you needed the law before Christ came. And now, in Jesus Christ, you can be a new creation. So how does obeying the law differ from being under the law? The law is the guardrail, not the road. The law is the guardrail. It, it keeps you on the path. The road is Jesus Christ. Here's the problem, though. If we begin to take our eyes off the road, Christ, we will hit the guardrail. Some of you know this. In reality, am I right? We face consequences if we take our eyes off the road. We hurt ourselves. We slow up our spiritual progress. And we ultimately travel down the gospel road with bumps and bruises we wouldn't have if we hadn't taken our eyes off of the Lord. And many of us say, that's my testimony. You see, the law doesn't keep you. 
on the path. It, it's just there to kind of safeguard you, to lead, like God's leading you. He's the road, but you've got to stay within the guardrails. Another way to look at it is the law functions as a reflection, not the reality. Many of you, you looked in the mirror this morning and you thought, nope, try to, right? And you went back and you're like, let's try something else. Let's try a different outfit. Let's try a different shirt. Uh, let's work on the hair a little bit longer. I know, I know you did. Yeah. Some of you bald guys are just upset that I said that. Um, so the reflection isn't the reality, but it helps you see, ah, I'm not, I'm not meeting the standard. I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect yet. When we look at the law, we realize we can't do it. We don't look good enough. We don't act good enough. We don't do enough. But if we look into the image of the Son who was born under the law and kept the law, we realize that we are no longer held under the law, but under the grace of Christ. When we look, we realize, hey, I'll never be good enough, but Jesus Christ was. He is the reality. I like how H.B. Charles Jr. puts it, "By by the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God at work on our behalf, so that we might resist temptation, overcome sin, live obediently, love selflessly, serve faithfully, witness boldly, and even suffer joyfully. It is not our ability to keep the law that allows these things to happen in our life. It is the power of Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit on our behalf, helping us resist temptation, helping us overcome sin, helping us live obediently. Living obedient to the law is not being under the law. Helping us love selflessly and live faithfully and witness boldly. It is the power of God. So let's keep reading in Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29, as Paul continues to unfold this. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Keep reading verse, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So what Paul here is saying is there's language here. There's imagery that that declares Christian identity. I want you to understand, Galatians, who you are in Christ. He says, number one, our identity in Christ covers us. I want you to understand that you are covered by the blood of the lamb. You are covered and saved from your sins. When 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 God looks at us, he sees us as his sons. Because he sees his son. The Lord Jesus has given us his righteousness, his perfection to wear. We are covered in Christ. That's freedom this morning. Some of us, we we feel like we need to do something so God has pleasure in us. That we've proved ourselves to be good enough. But when he looks at us, if we are in Christ, if faith has come, you're no longer under the guardian. You're no longer having to achieve these rules and regulations. You are covered in Christ. That's our identity. Our identity in Christ clothes us. You can tell a lot about a person by how they dress. Am I right? Some schools you can go to, you can tell what school that person goes to by the uniform they're wearing. You can tell if someone works outside or if someone works in an office. You can tell if someone um, is a nerd or if they're a jock. You can tell all kinds of things by how people dress. Our clothing tells people who we are because nearly every kind of clothing is actually a uniform. Showing that we are identified with others as something. But to say that Christ is our clothing 
is to say that our ultimate identity is found not in any of these classifications, but in Christ. You have a new identity. You are covered and you are clothed. Your identity now is not your own. It's not any of these lesser things of this world. You are, you are identified as Christ's very own. You were bought at a very high price. Paul gives imagery again of a Christian's identity by saying, our identity in Christ characterizes us. Not only are you covered, not only are you clothed, but the way that you live now is characterized by the very presence of Jesus in your life. There's something different about you. There's been a, there's been a change. It's not that you're just following rules. There's, there's been a change. This means to think of Christ consistently or constantly, to have a spirit and his character infuse and permeate everything you think and say and do. This goes far beyond just keeping the rules and regulations. This goes even beyond simple obedience. This is the character of Christ living in and through us. Let me ask you, if you are in Christ, do you see yourself as covered? Do you see yourself as clothed in his identity? Do you see yourself being changed day by day by the character of God living in and through you? Put on Christ. Romans 13, Paul will say this in 12 through 14. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul would say, if you are a new creation in Christ, then you need to take off the old. You need to take off that old identity, the things that you found so awesome in your life, and put on Jesus Christ. It will change you. So a life characterized by Christ doesn't just follow rules given by a guardian. A life characterized by Christ exudes his character by living for God's glory over self-gratification. So here's my questions for you. Do you desire to live in the light or to remain in darkness? Paul talks to these Galatian churches, and he's like, why, why would you settle for following rules? Why would you settle for allowing sin to remain in your life just so you, you look good enough? Well, I'm better than, I do more good than bad. Do you long to live in the light? Or do you still long to live in darkness? Do you live, do you like to live in the shadows of secret sin, or do you wish to put on Christ and walk in him and in his likeness. Many believers claim Christ, yet they want to live in secret sin, in the shadows, in the darkness. No other gospel guards. It is through Jesus Christ. No other gospel adopts you. This is a beautiful, beautiful section of scripture. Galatians 4, 3 through 5. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption. I've had a great privilege um, of being invited to the courtroom when some of my closest friends have adopted children. And, and, and it's just remarkable. You, you go into this courtroom, and I, I don't know about you, like, but if I'm I guess it's because I was a bad kid. Like, I go to the court system, and I'm like, I'm in trouble. 
but I wasn't in trouble. So then I had to go through there and I was like, okay, where's the courtroom? And you find the courtroom and there's all these friends and all these families, members, and, and we're all gathered around there. And then there's the judge and the judge is up there. And for the first time in the history of viewing judges, they're in a good mood, right? And you're like, whoa, the judge is even in a good mood. This is a great occasion. And so the judge is there and he's talking to the family, he's talking to the parents and they're holding the child. And he says, do you realize that there is no distinction between this child and a child that is born? The state holds no distinction. This child has the same rights as a child born in the family. This child is your child. This child is under your protection. This child gets everything that any other child will get. Do you realize that the state sees this child as your child solely, holy, all of these things? And you see this family and these parents go, we do. We understand. And then the judge of the state says, then, by the power vested in me, this is your child. You and I are adopted. There is no distinction. You are co-heirs with Christ. That is, that is his one and only son that he gave up as a sacrifice to bring you into the family. What a beautiful picture of salvation. We don't, we don't fully grasp. There's this beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation that's in twofold. I want you to understand this. The doctrine of justification, it explains what you get. When Christ died for you, you were declared not guilty. When Christ took the penalty of your sins on the cross, you were declared free. You have freedom in Christ, and you are declared innocent. And some of us get that. Yeah, we, we, we realize that, that God's sacrifice was enough. It was all sufficient. But we miss the second part, the doctrine of adoption. It explains what you gain. Get this. You gain a family. You gain a father. You gain an inheritance. You are brought in. Salvation is twofold. Yes, justification. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. It is by God's grace and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that your sins are declared gone. As far as the east is from the west, right? They're gone. But not only that, you gain family. You gain a father you gained an inheritance. It's very common for us to think of salvation only in the terms of the first one. We, we, we get the fact that the justification is there, but we forget the second part, that we are adopted as sons. When we think this way, we think that we must do something to earn God's favor. We can get pardoned, but now I better, I better pull my weight. I better prove that I'm good enough or God will stop loving me. See, there's two parts of the doctrine of salvation. It says in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's two words there, twofold. Redeem and receive. I want you to get this. Christ's work redeems us by payment and price to recover us from the power of another. We were under slavery, the power of sin and death, and he has redeemed us. He has purchased us back to receive. You were redeemed to receive. The role of Jesus was to redeem so that we might receive the spirit and inheritance. What was due, the word receive means what was due or promised. Do you see how great it is to be adopted as sons of God? 
we receive the assurance of our salvation by receiving his spirit. This is what scripture says. The scripture declares that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. You, you want to have assurance of your salvation this morning? Does the Spirit of God show you, bear witness, that you are a child of God? Has God done something? Has he done a new birth in you that you can't explain, that you can only explain by the inner working of God? God saved me. I never could have saved myself, but he did something in my heart, and the Spirit bears witness to it. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You just sang a song. I want you to repeat it. I am a child of God. That's remarkable. You are brought in. You are purchased. You're not just justified. You are adopted as his very own child. Two parts of this salvation I want you to get. The doctrine of salvation, objective evidence and subjective evidence. I gave you the definitions because it's hard to figure out what they are. Objective evidence, not influenced by personal feeling or bias. It's Christ's work on your behalf. Whether you feel like it or not, Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life, the life that we couldn't live. He died a sinner's death. He was murdered on a cross, and God placed on him the wrath of sin. And it was accepted because he was raised in newness of life on the third day that all that would believe in him and put their faith in him could have everlasting life. Whether you feel like it or not, that is objective evidence that there is salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But there is also the beautiful gift of subjective evidence based on an individual's opinion and experience. And some of you in here, I can't explain it, but I know. Because his Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. There is something new that has taken place in me, and I can't explain it. I, I just want to give testimony to it because this is who I was, and this is who I am now. And it is only by the grace of God. That is subjective evidence. For those of us who are in Christ, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to him, I plead with you. He is worth it. No other gospel leads you. Let's keep reading Galatians 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then, then an heir through God. Paul has language like this also in Romans when he says this in 8, 14 through 17. We've looked at one of these verses. Let's look at it in context. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You should ask yourself, am I led by the Spirit of God? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit bears witness that we are adopted. There's an evidence of that because we put our lives on the altar and we say, I'm a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, because it's my reasonable act of worship. I am all in with God because of, he was all in with me, and we, I get to be a co-heir with him, and I cry out, Abba, 
father, such an intimate term. Some have, some have said it means daddy. It's like a child crying out for their dad. The word that means father, it's a common term and it expressed affection and confidence and trust. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you led by your sensual desires? Some of us need to take inventory of that. Do you trust the Father or do you trust your feelings? You cry out, Abba, Father. You don't have to tell a child to trust their parent. Do you? Baby comes out. They take him into the little nursery area at the hospital. And the nurse says now, in, it used to be two days. Now in like 24 minutes, you're going to go home, right? <laughs> We're only going to keep you 24 minutes and you got to go. In 24 minutes, I'm going to need you to trust your parents. Huh? They didn't take him in there into the nursery and go, all right, in 24 minutes, if you need something, you're going to need to cry. And the baby goes, oh, cry? How do you do that? Right? Now, it didn't happen. You don't have to tell a child to trust their parent. You don't have to tell a child to cry if they want something. They just know they can cry out, Abba, Father. When you're a child of God, do you know that you can just cry out? Dad, I need you. I'm hurting. I need you. Look at this verse, 4-9. Now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, not that you know God, but now that God knows you, how in the world could you go back to the vomit? How could you go back to the old person? How could you ever think that's satisfying? How could you ever think that could lead and provide for you what, what you need? Cry out, Abba, Father. I want you to think about this beautiful truth. You are known. If you are in Christ, you are known. You might be telling people that you know God, but think about the fact that he knows you. That's, that's what this means. It means he knows every intimate detail, every minute detail, every hurt, every pain, every temptation, every fear, every worry, every scare, and every wound. He knows everything about you, and he calls you his. You are a child of God. And sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. And the reason is, is because there's sin in our life. And we say, God couldn't love me. I, I've ruined that relationship. You, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Jesus tells a remarkable story about the Father's love. You might be familiar with it. I'm going to read it to you. It's the story of the prodigal son. I want you to see the similarities between this parable and what we've just read in Galatians. In Luke 15, 11 through 24, and he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. I know I haven't got there yet, but I, I know I'm an heir, so go ahead and give me my part, right? And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he 
had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered this property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Too often we run from the father. We return to him ready to settle for being a servant because we can't see how loved we actually are. You may have allowed sin into your life and you may be in here today and you think, he couldn't love me. Oh, you have no idea. You are a child. You are his child. We want to prove that we can be a slave and follow the rules because we feel unworthy for the rebellious sin that we have committed and the prolonged lifestyle of quenching the Spirit's conviction in our hearts. We feel like we need to prove ourselves to God for God to love us again. But we are sons. The Spirit draws us back to Him, crying out for intimacy with the Father. Let me ask you, if crying out is an intimate prayer conversation with the Father, how has your prayer life been this week? Has your prayer life been intimate or impersonal. It's easy to go through the motions and pray the things, the repetitions. But have you cried out, Abba, Father, I need you. I'm going to close with this quote by H.B. Charles again. Prayer is an expression of submission to God and dependence upon him. For that matter, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. And the things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Many of us think, I got this. And so I would plead with you. As we reach a time of response, would you cry out, Abba, Father? Would you cry out, I need you. I, I feel like I couldn't be loved. I feel like I could just come back in and follow the rules and I would earn your respect again. But that's not what God says. God says, no, I would run to you. And I would wrap my arms around you. I would clothe you and I'll put a ring on your finger and I'll put shoes on your feet and I will kill the fatted calf and we will celebrate because you were once dead and now you're alive. You're a child. Can I pray for us? 
Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each